Three people were stabbed this week at the University of Waterloo during a gender studies class in what is now being called a hate-driven attack. Turns out, one of the people we speak with regularly is an associate professor at the University of Waterloo. So we checked in with her to see how she's doing and how everyone on campus is reacting. It's Friday, which means our weekly Gab with Gabby, Gabrielle Marchand from Global News Morning. We also checked in with an old friend, Miss Christine of Miss Christine's Kitchen. She's going to be the first Jamaican food vendor at Folkfest in a long time, and the first ever, by her calculations, at the Fringe Festival. And we had a great time asking you, what's the oldest thing you own? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Loren McNabb and Greg Mackling, who's back next week. Then Loren's on vacation. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Friday, June 30th podcast for The Start. It is McGarry and McNabb. Mackling is back next week. And then Loren takes the vacation baton for a couple of weeks. Vacation is nigh. It is nice. The countdown is on. <laughs> I would love to know, like, well, first of all, with you, are you a person on your day before your vacation? Like, are you still all in on the work day? No. It's <laughs> very much phoned in. I am. I am 100% here for you, people of Manitoba, and for you, Brett McGarry. Good. I will be here all day <laughs> until 10.01. And then I'm out the door like a, it'll be like one of those cartoon puffs of smoke. Exactly. That sound, brrr, pew. If you try to stop me, there'll be a piano that drops on your head or something like that. I don't know. Listen, I mean, I, the last day is always fun, especially if on a Friday yeah. uh, where we can tip. We typically just have a bit more fun because it's Friday. Everybody's happy. And the last day of vacation. Yeah, it. In my younger years, the, the the countdown was on like before my shift would even start and regardless of what job it was. Whereas here, it's like, okay, we're going to have a fun day and then off to the races for a little while. So my for me, that doesn't start until mid, late July. So I, I'll take a week in July, I think, after you come back. I'm so. just mostly looking forward. I don't know about you. No big plans. Just want to rest. Well, and relax, which I feel like in the last couple of vacations I've done, there's always been some place to get to, which has been fun, you know, and visits to have. And I'm still going to do some of those. But I just, I, I really like, I, uh, I'm vis- hooking up with my sister and family and some friends. And I said, I hope you're prepared for me to wear the same clothes for the next <laughs> several days. And I might just sleep the next several days away. I may visit, I may not, you know. Well, and so you should, because you're one of the hardest pe- working people I've ever met. No. Yes. Come on. And, and, and modest. Uh, and I, and I've often wondered. one of the wondered, angriest persons you've ever met. That's true. <laughs> um, but I often wonder, like, because with, with, with people like yourself or the Richard Cloutiers of the, or Kelly Moores of the world, like some of the hardest working people I, I know, can you or is it difficult for you to turn it off? And and move into that. Re, re, I'm relaxing. I'm not paying attention to what's happening in the world right now. I just want to read my book. Leave me alone. I've, I've gotten pretty good at it yeah. in recent years. You just have to. Like it's a the best part is just to put the phone away, which is easier said than done. Yeah. But I don't use it for much entertainment. Like when I'm on vacation, I'm in read mode, hang out with the family mode, and so I don't need to be on my phone at all. I don't even take a lot of pictures, like that kind of thing. So that makes it easier. Okay. But if you're a person who like I know a lot of people, their phone is also where they where they do relax, right? Like they go, the Twitter might be where they go to relax, just to read things, or they're on their feeds, or they're just looking up different stories that interest them, or they're 
YouTubing how to fix something and that becomes like, you know, that's how they relax. But if I were that person, then I would be getting the emails at the same time, right? Yeah. Whereas sometimes the phone can be where you're watching your shows and you're just checking out with friends and that is how you relax too. Yeah. And well, and, and I, I sort of, I would, I would suggest it was, I learned a, a bit of a, a life lesson on that subject. And I th- we've talked about this before, but just to recap, there was one time at the pub on a Friday and uh, I, Greg was there as well. And we were there like half an hour. And he says, did you see this email? And I said, no, Greg, I did not see this email. And I'm not throwing him under the bus because eventually it's, it's my fault. I said, I, what are you doing on your phone anyway? Like you've been, you sat down and for 30 minutes, you've just been doom scrolling. Like, don't we come here to relax? Mm-hmm. And he says, this is how I relax. Like the, I want to kept, catch up on the things that I may have missed during the show when I, you know, we were kind of busy and I couldn't be searching the Twitter. And then I, I just sort of thought like, yeah, who am I to tell you how to relax? If that's how you calm down or if that's how you st- want to start your weekend, hats off. And maybe it's because you can do it without having to think about it in the context of how will this impact my job? You know, you read a story. Oh, we should talk about that. We should get this person on. Now you're just reading it because you're enjoying to learn something in that moment, right? Maybe yeah. there's just a different part of your brain. Everybody relaxes differently. That's the hard thing. Some people like to work through their vacations. And that I mean, like, fix up the house and do all this kind of stuff. And all I could think yesterday was that I need my house to be clean before I can go. Like, I want the work to be done so yeah. that I'm not thinking about it while I'm gone. Yeah, that's fair because you don't want to come back. I don't want to come back to it, but I also just, uh, it feels like you accomplished something and now you can officially relax. Ah, okay. So it's like a reward. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, um, when you you talk about that uh, sort of being connected, the one thing I will find is I I am pretty good at when I decide I'm unplugging. I like, I will unplug at least from sort of the real world. If I'm on my phone, it's just goofing around on Instagram. But, the one thing I have a hard time turning off is it doesn't seem to matter what setting I'm in. I'll be talking to somebody, just catching up with somebody, and they'll tell me something interesting. And immediately I think, I wonder if there is an interview segment there. And I wish that I could turn off because that, that I'll get hit in the most random moments. And then you have to alert someone to it because you know you're going to forget. Yeah. If you don't send, I know I'm at the, like you, you've done this before. I've done this. I know I'm on vacation. I know I'm at the lake. I know I'm at the pub right now. Just had this great chat with so-and-so. You did this actually your last vacation. You were at the pub. You <laughs> it talked to somebody. Just thought it'd be a good segment, Loren. And I was like, thank you. Now stop. <laughs> I don't want to like, hear from you. <laughs> like, I, like, I think you're great. I love you. Do not text me while you're on your vacation. Like, <laughs> just because you feel you want that person to enjoy. But again, that's how they're enjoying themselves or how they enter relax mode, engage relax mode. Then that's what they do. <laughs> and there will, even if you're not on vacation, hopefully you get to enjoy the long weekend. And coming up at 635, we're going to learn a bit more about how Canadians are feeling in terms of their pride in their country. It's an interesting poll from Ipsos and and. Sean Simpson, we're going to play some clips from the VP at Ipsos there, but he talks about this idea that it's kind of split, like exact same number of people feel less pride as the number of people who feel more pride this year. And we have all these different emotions around this day. And I'm a proud Canadian, but I'll be the first to say the last couple of years I've been a bit more muted. And now I kind of feel a bit of pride in the fact that we've had some like really important conversations mm-hmm. And we're, we're, so many of us are working to learn and, and understand more that I think that's part of being proud of yourself. Right? Yeah. I, I, I was, when you said that to me this morning, I, I was like, you had reached into my brain and taken out the thought I was trying to formulate and, and just we were on the totally same page. Cause oh even I was walking 
somebody put up uh, Canadian flags on their balcony on my neighboring building. And I will admit that last year I did not enjoy the sight of the Canadian flag after the convoy. And uh, I just, when I, whenever I saw it, that's what it made me think of. And when I saw it this time, I thought it just thought of Canada. Isn't that a crazy emotion to look at your flag and feel so many different things? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's this is you're supposed to wear it with pride and hang it with pride. And then you'll, you'll even have that thought, not you, but people will have that thought when they go to America and they see all the porches with so many more flags are on display. Yeah. And then you, you, it sometimes conjures up connotations with that. And I don't know if that's fair or unfair, but I never had that emotion until the last year or two in Canada, the same way I've had that reaction in the States. If just uh, on the subject of the American flag, I always like driving, whenever I was in the States, I always like driving by a Perkins because I always had the, like this gigantic U.S. flag. I love a big flag. I've often wanted to, there used to be one, is it like a Humpty's or some gas station like in Headingley yeah. that had this huge Canadian flag and you wanted to know, like, I want to like put that on, is it bigger than my car? <laughs> like, is it bigger than my bed? Like, could I roll up in it? Like, <laughs> like a burrito? Yeah, like what is, like how big, because it seems huge and is it one of those things that's going to be, sorry, underwhelming when you bring it down or you're going to be like, oh my God, my whole house can go under this flag. <laughs> Coming up in our next segment, we want to tell you how you can win yourself some Gimli Film Festival tickets. And it has to do with something really cool that uh, one of my buddies has in his basement. I I went to his place for the first time and uh, I was like, where did you get this? So we'll tell you what that is next segment. But right now, let's talk about Canada Day, because nearly half of people in Canada say the pride they feel in being Canadian has changed in the past five years. And those who reported either a pride drop or increase are evenly split. This according to a new poll. Yeah, so this comes from Ipsos Public Affairs. They did this poll exclusively for Global News, and they talked to about 1,000 people over 18 on their feelings about Canada and July 1st, Canada Day. Sean Simpson is the VP at Ipsos and says it's what's the impact of this poll shows that people are changing the way they celebrate. For one in five Canadians, they are uh, being more reserved. Uh, They're less likely to participate in um, events like fireworks or celebrations, less likely to to, to fly a a flag. Sort of more introspection, I would say, than outwardly um, uh, celebrating uh, Canada and, and what it means to be Canadian. But in equal measure, you have one in five who are taking the exact opposite stance and sort of doubling down uh, on their, you know, present beliefs, their patriotism, and are more likely to uh, want to celebrate Canada in those traditional ways like fireworks displays or or, or flying the flag. So I just found it was interesting that there, those paths were sort of equally matched. So are you someone who's feeling more, less, the same? Are you reflective this time of year compared to how you might have been in years past. I don't I don't know if I've ever been a person who was super rah-rah on Canada Day and that had nothing to do with my feelings about the country. I just wasn't going all in on the face paint and head yeah. to toe red and white. But, you know, we had the T-shirts and hats and, and firework attendance in years past. And then the last couple of years, for sure, I just felt the need to be a bit more muted and talk to the kids about different things. But this year I am. I feel ready to celebrate with many things not because we're suddenly past something yeah or we've like we're all good now that's not what i mean i do think that you can be proud that you 
like evolve and be, are learning. Yeah. And that's, that's where I'm at too. And I know that Canada's not perfect. There are all kinds of problems and we've seen a lot of things kind of feels like a lot of things are moving backwards, but at the same time, there are some things that are moving forward that really have moved more forward than ever. Like particularly on the, the thought of reconciliation, mm-hmm. for example, I think a lot of Canadians are, are more Canadians than ever are trying to learn and trying to be more accepting and just to do what, whatever they can to, to, to make things whole. That I makes was, any sense. I had, no, that makes perfect sense. And, and, and it starts, you know, then you look at the next generation, it's where you have to figure out how things will go. And I have so much pride in the next generation. I was saying I had chaperoned that group of kids and one of my kids classes to the human nature museum. I always get this management museum. Okay. I'm like 1984 Loren calling it the 1984 name. And two of them, as soon as we got in there, I said, where do you guys want to go? Like non such was top of the list, but two, but two of them said, what section would have more on residential schools? I, I liked learning about that this year. And they didn't mean <laughs> in grade, in grade five, two of them in grade five. And I thought that was fantastic that, that there's something that had struck to struck a chord in them. And when we got to that part, two of them sat through, actually all five of them sat down in these little school desks they had, and you could scroll through these, a touchpad um, with more on uh, residential schools and the, and the legacy there. And I thought that was really cool. And so that's part of it, right. As you move forward. And I think that that is reflected in this poll because how we feel about how we might want to celebrate might depend on our age. Ipsos says younger Canadians were more likely to feel less proud than older Canadians, or maybe, maybe, more reflective might be the way. And one quarter of millennials in particular particular said they felt less proud compared to one six of baby boomers. Age is really the, the the driving factor here because when you look at the overall results, you say, well, it's a wash. 21% more, 21% less. But that clouds the 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 real story, which is that generations are reacting in very different ways. Millennials and and Gen Z much more likely to be re-examining uh, their Canadian identity and their relationship to Canada, uh, boomers much more likely to be maintaining the status quo. And just as an aside, and then once again, these are results from an Ipsos public affairs poll that was uh, conducted exclusively for Global News. But as fate would have it, there's a similar poll from Leger. And on the political scale, it says that uh, 76% of conservative voters say they're proud to be Canadian compared with 97% of liberal supporters. And we know that there is a lot of anti-Trudeau sentiment in this country. And and if that's where you are on your politics, hey, I'm not going to argue with you on that because we get the feedback all the time. Yesterday, we got a comment like uh, price of gas is going up because uh, people voted for Ben Carr. In the Winnipeg South Centre, yeah. who was just elected a week ago. But there, that's more of a, a liberal sentiment. We had a listener just now saying, regarding your question on pride, I have to say I'm very proud of our country and its flag, but I'm ashamed and disgusted by its current government. And so that you might have those confluences of, of opinions too. McGarry and McNabb Mackling back next week. The question this morning, what is something you own that's old? Something that maybe predates you. The reason we're asking this is last weekend, went to a friend's place for his birthday. I'd never been to his place. Walked down to the basement. And in spite of he had uh, this marvelous, uh, marvelous decorations and all these cool things. But the thing that I was enamored with was he had this like old 
Coca-Cola vending machine. It was like beat up and rusty, but it just looked so, it was the just this random vintage thing. I said, how old is this? And he says, it's from the 40s. Like, oh my gosh, where did you get that? And I can't remember he got it, where he got it, but I was just like, and it even still works. He says the compressor still works. I think I might need to fix something else here, but yeah, theoretically, you should be able to pop in a nickel. <laughs> and if you pulled, if, if you loaded it up with bottles of Coke, there, so I just thought that's cool. So what's something old that you own? Tell us a story for a chance to win a Gimli Film Festival pass. We'll give that away at 9.15. Poitras, why don't we start with you, sir? Well, this is something that I, I, I've actually had for a, a while now, and I'm afraid to use it. I, I It might work. I'm not sure. Uh, it is an old coffee grinder that's probably 100 years old. Yeah. And Neat. I have... Like it, 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 it churns, it moves. Uh, but I don't know. One day I'm going to get some coffee beans. And I'm going to throw them in there, but I'm, I'm afraid it's going to be like cobwebs. And what's the story behind it? Like, why do you have, this I thing? have literally no idea. <laughs> it's ended up, it's ended up in my possession. Who knows how, Man, I, you know what? It, I don't remember. Maybe I was at a grad, grad sale and thought it was cool and just bought it and just have totally forgotten about it. Uh, but it's, it's like it's 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 really cool. Like I love this sort of stuff, and it's just sitting on a, it's got a spot like right by my door, and it's right there, and I don't know, it looks nice. I feel like One you're gonna take I'm this gonna... to an antique show someday, and they're gonna say this is from 1992 Sears. Uh, they're <laughs> gonna be so disappointed. Yeah, and they're gonna be like, yeah, it is worth less than nothing. <laughs> like it is. It is costing you yeah, to yeah. put it on this shelf. You're hurting society by keeping <laughs> this. Yeah. Uh, Please leave. Get out. <laughs> what about you, Sarah? Yeah, so I don't actually own this one myself, but it's been in my family for years, and it's at my aunt's house right now. It's a piano that's been in my family. I don't know how long. I mean, I, it either belonged to my great-great-grandma Sarah or her mom, so however long that would be, 20s, 30s at that point. But at one point, it wasn't in our family. It was actually sold out of our family, but it stayed in the area. And then just like 10 or so years ago, my mom and aunt actually tracked it down, found it, bought it back, got it tuned up, and we've had it back ever since. Does That's anyone cool. play it? We, I know how to play cool. piano, but probably only Christmas songs at this point. Those are the easy ones. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't done it in I a long time. I can do that time, thing with the knuckles. I'm a master at that. I got that perfected. Yeah, so it's... A nice piece of history to I, have. I feel like if this was great-grandmother Sarah's yeah. piano, this needs to stick with you, Sarah. I know. So, yeah, know. Were, were you named after your grandmother? Yeah, yes. Oh, there was a couple Sarahs in our family, so. Once yeah. you get the piano, though, like I, as someone, um, I bought a piano, I don't know, 15 years ago, and then then you have to move this thing. Yeah, all the time. that's the thing. <laughs> and every time Is it you a grand? move it, no. It's Yours, not a gram. I okay. wish mine was a gram. Can you imagine just walking into like an average home oh and then in the middle is this obnoxious grand piano and I'm wearing like a gown and I have a candelabra <laughs> and I'm just like, what are you doing today, Lorena? Uh, what I always do, play my grand piano. Just sitting there playing Mozart as people Cans walk in. in the back, yeah. grinding look, coffee. Look, looking you know, over like, at them as you're just sitting there. Hitting the keys and just got like a dirty, filthy couch and like there's a mess everywhere. A but tuxedo I... with those wings on the back. <laughs> yes. And I just come around the corner every day. Would you like to see, hear a tune? What can I play for you? 
How would you even get a grand oh. piano actually in, into the average I, I home? Know. They have to, I don't know. Would they have Helicopter? to build. Take the roof off? I don't know. It must come in pieces or something. Yeah, maybe they put yeah. the legs on mm-hmm. after. You, you'd have to like set up windows and like have windows. If you were moving that thing ever, it would, yeah, you'd have to have like windows that like open yeah. up so you can get the thing in and out. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Um, it would be like my dining room table as well. I'd close it to eat on and then lift it up to play the piano. Because there would be no room for anything else. Someone listening right now owns a grand piano. Oh How did gosh. you get it into your home? Let us know at 204-780-6868. Forte, what about you? Something old that you own? Uh, something old that I own would probably be the mirror that is uh, It's uh, in my living room. It's right on the wall. And it used to be my grandparents. Uh, every Christmas... Uh, Easter, anytime we had like a family dinner at my grandparents' place, it'd be on their living wa- living room wall. And uh, so it's just really, really cool that now it's in my possession. And uh, yeah, my grandmother passed away about four years ago. And uh, so yeah, I uh, took it, put it on my living room wall, and uh, it's been hanging there ever since. Cool. That's, That's neat. Nice. Very nice. Does it, and when you look at it, does it, does it get, kind of make you smile in uh, knowing where it, from whence it came? Well, yeah, like and it has like a couple of like stains on it, and there's a little chip in it, you know. So it's it's got character and history. Absolutely, that's cool. Yeah, I think for me, a couple of old things that I own. One is, uh, it's a, like a wicker kind of rocking chair. It's wooden, but the seats are wicker. It's just a rocking chair. I don't know how old it is. I just know that it predates me. I'm 45, <laughs> and it's been in my life as long as I can remember. But it's. Um, it's it needs some TLC. The, the the seat has finally burst asunder. Like it just can't. The, the wicker over the time is just <laughs> worn out. So like there was, I was sitting on it one day and I kind of went through it. <laughs> so it's still in my apartment. I just sort of covered it up with a throw pillow. You should get it uh, all jazzed up. Like yeah, well, take it, it needs, to some refurbishing. Well, company. I looked into it, and it would cost several hundred dollars yeah. to get it fixed. They're expensive, yeah, because yeah. because some of the woodwork on it is really scratched. I guess it's just been damaged from the number of times it's moved. But it would cost me a lot of money to get it fixed, and it would be nice. But I don't have a few hundred dollars set aside to fix an old rocking chair. But you know, I, that makes me happy to have it, and uh, I I fought. With a couple of people, like my fiance, I, I'm like, I want this chair in the house. And oh, come on, we don't need more furniture. I'm like, let me have one thing. <laughs> let me have this rocking chair. <laughs> and same thing in my last relationship. But I got it and I kept it. And now it's in my apartment. The other thing that would be old is actually, it's two things. And I meant to wear them today. But um, they're rings from my parents. My dad gave me a ring that he used to wear. Hmm. And it's got nine little diamonds on it. And uh, I can't remember why he gave it to me. He gave it to me years ago. I think his maybe his fingers just got too fat. I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember. Dad, why did you oh, give me that ring? Oh, he has probably some special story that you've forgotten about. I know. This, I'm just a terrible son. And the other is a, <laughs> is a ring that my mom made me uh, about 20 years ago. But she she had one of her diamond earrings put in the ring. So that's the diamond in the ring because she developed an allergy and couldn't wear the earrings anymore. To diamonds? To, yeah. Well, to these particular earrings. Huh. I think it was the metal okay. uh, of, the, of the earring. So she had the diamond turn into a ring. So, And both of those pieces of jewelry, like the, her diamond and my dad's ring, are both old, older than I am. So they're very special to me. And I just sort of stopped wearing them when the pandemic started because I got to... I, I can't, I, the, all, the number of times I've washed my hands and sanitized my hands, uh, I kept having to take my rings off so I could get under them to clean out the excess sanitizer. Never take the ring off. Take it off, you're going to lose it. Oh, really? Oh, 
I've taken to mine off just a couple times, and then it, I set it somewhere for safekeeping. <laughs> <laughs> and we know how that goes. That extends into tonight and tomorrow. Low of 13 tonight, high of 30 tomorrow. Nothing but sun Sunday. At least that's what they're saying right now. A high of 30. Monday, sunny, and a high of 24. Right now, right now it is 19 <laughs> at 680 CJOB. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. Thank goodness it's Friday. Uh. I thought about it. I'm like, I, I should just turn on the mic and start reading the <laughs> like weather. Like I said, I don't but hear it. it it's got to happen at least once. My day is not complete. It's McGarry McNabb. Mackling is off until next week. So back on Tuesday. And a couple of things. We were getting feedback on the all the old things that one might own. But we just had a conversation about strikes and unions threatening to strike. And uh, some feedback. Loren, I think, was it? did you say it was from Rick? Yeah, Richard texted Richard. in. And, you know, so when you're looking at the liquor and lotteries threatening to strike, they're talking about a contract that has anywhere from 1% to 2% increases for the next three to four years. I'm not sure what the deal is with Hydro, but Richard says, I hope everyone understands that wages need to go up and this kind of negotiating and bargaining will affect everyone's wages and the way their employers view them. Wages must increase. They simply have not kept up kept up with anything else. Don't be fooled into thinking raising wages is only going to compound inflation. Inflation is going up either way and people need to make more money. That's Richard's view. Richard, thank you for that feedback. And on the subject of Something old. We're asking you to tell us about something old that you own because I went to a friend's place for the first time on the weekend and I was marveling at this Coca-Cola vending machine that he found somewhere. It's from the 1940s and it just was beat up and rusty, but it was just so neat to see that. And Liz says, the old thing I own is my home in Winnipeg Beach, built the year the town was established I once cut a window opening and found 1907 newspaper insulating the walls. If only these walls could talk, the stories they would tell. The finds that people discover behind walls or under, you know, you rip up a floor, you see certain things. It's really incredible. And and I love things that have writing like old papers or ads or that midwife book. I think that's really cool. One of the things I have in our house right now is my great uncle's pilot log from when he entered the army before world war ii and just even seeing his handwriting is really neat sometimes people keep old letters just for that reason so that was very cool is thank you and lee rimmer with whom i used to play uh, sports sing some baseball back in the day in transcona park city west uh, lee says i still have my la gear shoes from bernie wolf days they still light up la gear oh i used to have a pair of those but they didn't light up mine were just super like the well kind of like some of the kicks now like the white was so cool yeah no i, I wanted those la gear shoes and i can't remember lee if you wore them when we would play basketball together too but that's fantastic i forgot about la gear they had some really cool shoes <laughs> still a bit of shock and also i'm just feeling a bit angry and says james chow he was scared for his life when a young man entered his classroom asked what the class was about and when asked to leave by the gender studies professor he attacked he raised the knife and started chasing the professor i grabbed a chair right was as he cornered the professor in the back of the room and threw a chair at him the and when I threw the chair, I remember seeing the professor was like on the ground covering her face and screaming. A horrific scene as 40 students screamed and fled the classroom. Global's 
Eric Sorensen, as we turn our attention back to the University of Waterloo after that triple stabbing on Wednesday during a gender studies class. So it's believed to have been a hate-motivated attack on the LGBTQ2 plus community. Three people stabbed, taken to hospital with serious but non-life-threatening injuries. A 24-year-old former student is in custody, Brett, this all coming from police. Amy Morrison is an associate professor of English at the University of Waterloo with much focus on digital literacy and new media studies. And Amy, you know, when I reached out to you yesterday, it was regarding Google saying it's going to remove access to new links in Canada once Ottawa implements its controversial Online News Act by the end of the year. And at the time, I had seen the Waterloo story. I hadn't seen the updated details yet and it being a hate-motivated attack. But I just, I completely failed to connect the dots that this is your university. So please, you know, forgive me for that. I mean, you've become a valuable resource to our radio station and you've become a friend to our radio station. So why don't we just start with, how are you? Well, thank you so much. Uh, for your kind words. Uh, I mean, I'm not great. It was, uh, that's the building that my office is in. That's a classroom that I teach in. The professor who was stabbed is a colleague of mine who I know personally, and some of those students are currently being taught by my colleagues as well. It's, um, it's a pretty profound sense of violation to be pursuing um, the goals that we have at the university, which is free inquiry research and education of the next generation of Canadian leaders to have that, that interrupted by someone who wants so badly for us not to be learning these things that he's willing to try to kill people about it. It makes it very difficult um, to walk back into those classrooms um, and to have that sense of safety back again. So I think that's that's what we're all processing right now. And thank you for asking. Well, in theory, everyone at university is, you know, technically adult, right? You're over 18 and, mm-hmm. and it's not children you're dealing with, but you're, all, but you're all dealing with this in different ways. And so now you have to go in and teach, Amy, but also have your students uh, reflect and think and maybe have their own fears mm-hmm. and concerns. So what, what has that conversation been like with the students at, on campus? Um, the university held a rally yesterday afternoon that was that was quite healing, reaffirming its commitment to supporting um, gender studies and free inquiry and supporting um, students and faculty who may feel at particular risk from this type of violence owing to their identity as gender minorities or as feminists or even as as women and um, it it helps to feel as if we are all in this together, even if some of us seem to have been targeted deliberately because of our identity or our gender identity or gender expression or the fields of research that we teach in. And, and you know, I'm on here all the time talking to you guys about social media and this act of violence is, is a creature of social media rhetoric around woke culture and gender ideology and the kinds of hate that are being whipped up against something as innocuous as a seminar room where 40 students are sitting with open books trying to think about philosophical concepts. It's not a threat to society. The the threat to society is the people who are so angry about other people reading books that they try to come and kill us. And so that's something something that we're all talking about is what is the value of that work and um, what kinds of safety um, are we losing and, and how can we continue to be brave with our ideas um, and hopefully not in mortal peril in the classroom. Have you ever felt unsafe on campus? Never, never. You know, and that's that's something I wish for people to understand that it shouldn't be a privilege 
to go to work and not be afraid that you're going to die, right? To to know that, that these students who have signed up for these courses in this spirit of, of trying to learn new things and challenge themselves and professors who you know, dedicate their lives to reading hard things and thinking difficult thoughts and trying to, to help other people um, learn new things as well, that, that that bargain never included, you know, risk of death in the classroom. That's not something any of us expected. And I don't think any of us should have to walk into classrooms and note where the exits are and note if the windows can be covered. Um, I know some of my American colleagues do this as a matter of habit, uh, and it takes a lot of mental energy and it takes something away from our, our freedom to be open with each other and to trust each other and to be vulnerable in the ways that we need to be in order to teach and to learn when we have to be guarded like this. And I hope we will be able to gain that sense of safety back again. I've never thought about something like this before, and I was hoping to get through my career without having to think about it, but here we are. Yeah, it feels like the drills that we get the kids to do in, in, in your head. Mm-hmm. It's like, this, is, this doesn't happen here. This is an American thing, but just in case, yeah. you know, we'll go through all this. And I, it's not the right reaction, but that was one of the comments I overheard in the newsroom this morning that it felt so American to have that happen. The stabbing itself, let alone, yeah. you know, what we're now learning from police. And, and I'm, I'm not trying to turn this towards the talk on the fact mm-hmm. that Google says it's going to remove access to yeah. news links in Canada, but it talks about... So if, it lends itself in some way, perhaps, because we've talked in the past, Amy, about the silos we build for ourselves yes. when we try to learn. And, yes. and then what we're really doing, perhaps, in the end is not learning. We're just learning what we reinforcing what we already know because of the systems that are out there that curate news. And so I'm, yeah. that's not at fault here. But when we talk about trying to be mm-hmm. more enlightened and learning more, we might think sure. we might think we're being people that are learning more when, when in fact, we're not because of, of what we read yeah, I think, you know, I've spoken with you all before about how social media algorithms target engagement, right? So they want us to stay on the sites as long as possible. And it turns out that the emotion that increases engagement the most is is fear and anger, right? So content that makes people angry makes them leave comments. And when you leave comments, then the algorithm is like, oh, this is an important post that makes people engaged. So we're going to show more of these posts, right? So the primary emotion being generated here is fear and anger uh, to get social media engagement. And so that creates a culture in which fear and anger are the emotions we experience a lot more than we would if we were not so saturated in social media and algorithmic delivery of content. And so we get an exaggerated sense of how scary the world actually is and how angry we need to be about it from that bubble. And the other factor of this having to do with Bill C-18 actually is that there was a bit of an information vacuum about this stabbing and the best coverage uh, that was being produced was by the student volunteer newspaper, right? Because as as news consolidation is happening, like we're seeing now um, a kind of uh, coming together of the National Post and the Toronto Star companies, which anybody who follows media would never have seen coming in a million years, and that has to do with financial realities as local newsrooms are closing, as papers are consolidating, as larger firms that are not news-based are buying up these uh, media entities as profit-generating um, exercises. We're losing local coverage, and so for 18 to 20 hours, really the only details uh, that were being reported on the ground were coming from a student volunteer newspaper, right, that isn't prey to those commercial interests, and then everyone was sort of piggybacking on that, which is 
you know, why this story didn't have the details come out as quickly as it might have or spread as broadly as it might have, because there just really wasn't local news on scene because the economics of that are so terrible right now that we're, we're losing that even as we're better able to fall into our rabbit holes on, on Reddit or Twitter or 4chan or wherever we happen to be. So more and more people were saying, I was getting my news about this event from Reddit, right? And, and who's to say um, about the accuracy of that information, but it was timely and it was on the ground in ways that the news organizations that are starved for advertising revenue right now just can't afford to do anymore. Amy, before we let you go, uh, it sounds like, you're, are you in the middle of a storm right now? <laughs> Sitting in my car. <laughs> it's the safest parked. place, Amy, within a, in a lightning storm, if that's what you're going that's through. Right. So you stay yeah. parked. Yeah, I will stay parked. Yeah, sorry about that. It was no, quite no. quiet in the car until the rain started. Well, no, I I, I only ask because, uh, you know, I, I believe you're under a special air quality statement. So I was just yeah. wondering what the air has been like and, and perhaps how is this storm welcome? For what you're experiencing. It is. It seems to be maybe raining wildfire smoke right now, but uh, yeah, we're hoping that some of this water will take the um, smoke out of the air because it's sort of hard to see to the end of the street. It's like, you know, those 1970s cars that belched out blue smoke out Mm -hmm. of the exhaust pipes and you'd walk behind them as a kid and you really couldn't see where you were going. That's kind of what the air looks like here. Like we're all in a 1970s tailpipe plume. Well, Amy, honestly, uh, I, I just appreciate your candor. No, your candid, candor and your humor and honestly, just your honesty at a time like this. Like it's sort of like one of those days you wake up and you're feeling all the feelings, right? And yeah, and I, I hope you can find just a couple moments of uh, peace this weekend. And as we learn more about the story, you know, maybe perhaps they'll provide some further clarity for what you're all going through. Thank you so much. Amy Morrison joining us live on 680 CJOB, an associate professor of English at the University of Waterloo with much focus on digital literacy and new media studies. It's McGarry and McNabb. We are very much enjoying all the cool old things that you own. We're asking you just what's something old that you own. But before that, it's our final winner for Let's Talk Turkey with Manitoba Turkey Producers as we close out the month of June, which is Turkey Month. We have a nice little prize pack from CJOB.com, which includes a Butterball gift certificate, some cooking accessories, and recipe books courtesy of Manitoba Turkey Producers. Today's winner is Tara Domenko, and all month long we've been sharing turkey recipes, and Tara... The recipe simply is this outdoor fryer. Boom. Yeah, but don't not literally not boom. Boom. I know that was my thought too. She means it's just so good and in theory simple. But uh, I've we've heard both heard ho- like horror stories when you deep fry yeah. the turkey. There's already a lot of like fat that drips out of the meat. And now you're adding it to the oil and it's oh I just I want to show up when it's done. Like yes. call me, Tara. Give me a date. Give me a place. Give me a time. I'll just wait up the street for them for, just to make sure there is no boom. Yeah. And then I'll come eat your turkey and go, boom, that's terrific. Yeah, I've heard it's just amazing. But indeed, I've seen videos on YouTube. Just it's the it's cataclysmic the, when it, it when it goes boom. And I think that from what I understand, it's if the turkey is frozen, uh, it, that's what causes it to explode. Because according to PBS, the reason for frozen turkeys exploding has to do with the differences in density between oil and water. Uh, so I guess if the, if the if it's frozen, then it'll go boom. But if you've had any experience with the deep fried turkey, by the way, feel free to share at 204-780-6868. Also, on one of the cool things that you own that's old, Frank N. 
says this pool table in my basement is close to 100 years old and it came from a pool hall in St. Laurent. And uh, he says there was there were six tables specifically built for that pool hall at five and a half by 11 feet. So that's what he's got in his basement. Like that's almost a regular, I think that might be regulation size snooker. I'm not sure if it's six by 12 or whatever, but still it's a big, cool old pool table with even the scoreboard, the original scoreboard. Now the question, if you have that kind of table in your basement and people walk in, do they expect you to be really good because you have the real deal? I, I would hope so. Real actual snooker is hard because the pockets are rounded as opposed to sort of flat. So you got you, you have to be precise and the table is gigantic. So but this is so neat. I want it. We're asking you to tell us about something you own that is old. Like my buddy's Coca-Cola vending machine from the 40s that he found and has in his basement, and it looks really cool. And last half hour, we talked about Frank N., who sent some pictures of this 100-year-old pool table uh, that is 5.5 by 11 feet. And I was asking, like, what's the regulation size of a proper snooker table? And Jim says a regulation snooker table is 6 by 12, so 6 feet by 12 feet. I have one in my basement that is about 110 years oh, old. Oh, wow. And Jim says it weighs about 2,700 pounds. <laughs> so it's it's kind of like a grand piano. Once it's in, it's not coming out. <laughs> yeah, how do you get rid of that? You'd have to chop it up, I guess. feels like there's a lot of people with... The normal size, regulation size snooker tables in their basements in Winnipeg. And Jim, I said, like, and there's room for you to play without interference from the wall? It's their bed. And he said... (laughs) (laughs) Bed by day, snooker table at night. It's a real snooker table. The first time I ever tried it, because we watch it on TV. They're the pros and their competitions. They make it look so easy. It is not easy. It's impossible. But last chance, tell us something you own that is old for a chance to win Gimli Film Fest tickets. We'll pick a winner at 9.15. In the meantime, I'm not even going to try. Mackling does the intro for our next guest. CKND, Channel 12, Cable 9. I can't remember how it goes. It is me. I am living it. That is me, and I don't know it. So (laughs) I don't know what that says about me, but... uh... Gabrielle Marchand. I can't even remember any of it, how it goes. Besides Global News, Morning Anchor... Gabrielle Marchand. Oh, thank you. That, there was, you that was pretty I good. That. that was pretty good. How's it going, Gabby? It. Good. I'm glad it's Friday. I'm glad it's a long weekend and we're not working on Monday. Excellent. Yes. Glad to hear it. Grad season. We're talking a lot this week about grad season, grad night. So the question is, what's something fun or perhaps something weird that happened on your grad night? Well, I, I am from North Balfour, so I'll set the stage here in that grad the pre-grad was teenagers drinking in the backyard and you literally see like these girls like hiking up their grad dresses and mom and dad are helping them duct tape Mickey's to their legs. Like that is what North Battleford is. Your parents duct tape your Mickey to your leg and then you go into the local curling rink. And then I guess your mom goes into the bathroom and helps you unduct tape it and then you drink it. Anyway, I was off the sauce randomly uh, during high school towards the end. I went off the sauce. I decided I wasn't drinking. So my sister and her husband came down from Edmonton and we left my grad early because at this point, everybody's so wasted. They're all like holding each other and crying and, you know, being sober for that. I was just, I was done with the curling rink. So we went home and we got like $45 worth of McDonald's (laughs) and we sat and we watched Hot Rod with Andy Samberg in the basement. Sounds like a great night. It was amazing. And I sat in my grad dress the whole time and I got (laughs) so much McChicken sauce on my dress but I mean, you're never going to wear it again, right? So 
was great. I had a great time. You'd wear it again at some sort of 90s party or whatever year it was. You graduated year 2005 party or something. I just leaned down and lick it. Mm, still tastes good. Yeah. <laughs> no, we were talking this week about how fancy grad outfits appear to have become like Loren I think how did you describe it the, the dresses just seem more gowny more gowny yeah. yesterday they're more elegant, gowny ball elegant. gowny yeah, yeah like they're yes- like princess bell dresses or- yesterday I dropped in at the pub after work and uh, and then there, I guess there was a family that was there waiting for a couple of young grads oh, cool. and this young woman came in and I honestly I, I was like are, are you shooting a movie because it, it looked like she was like a fairy godmother or something. She just had this beautiful white, blue, sparkly dress that was spectacular. And then the the dude she was with was wearing this like really sharp, I think the, it was like a salmon color suit, but he oh, looked like- I it, love that. He looked so, they looked so sharp. Yeah. Rather that, because I remember, you know, a lot of boxy suits for the guys in Definitely. my grade and- Double breast? Was it double breast? I had a double breasted suit. Yep. yep. That was the thing in the 90s, the double breasted suit. I, I, know, like I know a- they've come back, but- I dress like a mermaid stripper for my grad. That's how I would describe <laughs> it. Like platinum blonde hair, like dark black streaks underneath, like Christina Aguilera inspired. And then this really like, I, and a word I can't use on air. Anyway, I look like a mermaid stripper. I look back and I'm like, oh my God, this is not appropriate. I won't show these pictures to anybody. Mine was the hair. <laughs> I kind of want to see. <laughs> so do I. Since then, I've had the fear of getting my hair done for any, you know, updo because I hate having my hair up. So I made them put it all up, but then give me these like huge curly type the tendrils tendrils but they weren't tendrils it was just a thick lump of like <gasps> it was weird and even now my friends my one of my best friends Shauna is like every time I look at that grad photo I'm like why would why would you do that to your hair and then since then when I went to her <laughs> wedding when it, and other people's weddings my hair will get put up and I'll immediately get teary because I'm like I just don't like this I'm so scared of how it's gonna look I'm picturing I'm picturing you sort of looking like you could be like writing poetry in like the 1600s with these giant yeah. tendrils you're like just like laying on a couch writing poetry with these massive pieces of hair like uh, is my parents probably love it because loved it because you're worried what's your daughter gonna get up to or your son gonna get up to on prom night and I hope there's no you know hanky panky and they probably thought not with that hair she's not (laughs) (laughs) perfect no way she's scoring looking like that (laughs) that's amazing (laughs) and uh Gabby also one of the things we touched on this week was uh living without air conditioning I used to live in this old uh, character building in the village on Stradbrook. Nice building, but character buildings, right? So I didn't have AC. At one point I had a, a, a window unit, but the bathroom was sweltering. And I'd be getting ready for TV, just like sweating off my makeup before I could even put it on and actually get to work. Oh, it was so hot. And at one point, so I developed a system where I'd take a bag of ice and hang it in front of a fan in the bathroom. And I mean, it kind of worked, but it was really uncomfortable. I'm actually still on that building's buzz code. I haven't lived there for years. And Winnipeg police literally phoned me. I was like, of course they're phoning to get into this building. Anyway, they phoned me to get into the building. So I was like, I'm still there in part, but now I have AC and that's a nice Went to your cell phone? Yeah. Feels like that needs to be corrected. Yeah. Probably. But uh, I'm just happy to be out of there because there is not much potential for staying cool. Sweaty, sweaty Betty. Didn't it, didn't it end up turning into like a mouse infestation or something? There was also that part too, yeah. <laughs> we didn't have a very good run with that building. There were ants. At one point, they took over my pillow. It was just like the pillow. It belongs to the ants. All my things, the ants can take them. They're yours They run now. my life. <laughs> Gabrielle Marchand is the host and anchor of Global News Morning, weekdays 6 until 9 on Global Winnipeg, but not this Monday uh, in lieu of Canada Day. Gabby, have a good weekend. Happy backyarding, everybody.
It is McGarry and McNabb. We're asking you this morning for a chance to win tickets for the Gimli International Film Festival about something that you own that is old. Doesn't necessarily have to predate you, but we're getting some stuff here that, like, we had. There was, uh, I think it was listener Jackie who has a midwife training book from 1779, which is that just boggles my mind that 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 it hasn't disintegrated yet. Uh, or Maureen, for example, one of our runners up here who says, I have an antique phone mm. that MTS put out in 1983 to celebrate 75 years. Only 75 were sold, and it's a fully operating rotary dial inside. And I guess that's uh, it's two antiques in one. But yeah, this is a, and it's a lovely decorative piece. I miss the phones of yore. Not the dial per se. We had a dial one on the farm with a party line with my grandma. So you'd have to be like, Grandma, I need the phone. Or she'd be like, Lorraine, stop talking to your friends. Um, but <laughs> I miss the the button ones. Like, it's something satisfying. But, you know, you're trying to get a hold of someone. Like, come on, answer the phone. You can hammer those buttons. And then the hang up is so much more. Well, they still, the, you know, the cordless phones still have the buttons. Yeah. Do you even have a landline? No. Okay. That's why. So it's all touchscreen cell phones. It's all touch. It's just not as satisfying. Yeah. My dad's got a uh, landline. I mean, he's got a landline, but he's got cordless phones. So they still have the buttons. So not, they- they're not the punchy. I'm talking about those. Remember the ones that would be, I can't even picture the, I can picture the phone and it'd be gray buttons and your yep. finger kind of okay. sunk into them. Yeah. Yeah, when, when, push. when you're really mad, yeah. I'm going to make an angry phone call. Oh, I'm <laughs> calling you right now, and I will be telling you about why I'm dissatisfied with your customer service right now. And then you can really slam, slam the phone it. down. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, there's no satisfying slam with the uh, the cell phones. Another runner up here, Scott B., uh, who says, at two-thirds of a century old now, most everything that I own is old. And to borrow from Mike Myers' character, Stuart Ranking, if it isn't old, it's crap. With the, I, that's a terrible Scottish accent. Yeah, sorry, pretty good. But uh, Scott says I have my grandfather's electrician and linesman's handbook that is leather bound and over a hundred years old. I have many leather bound books. <laughs> smell of rich mahogany. mahogany. I have read the handbook, says Scott B, but never used it for reference until now. The only pictures in the book were hand drawn, and the one picture that left me wondering was that of a linesman at the top of a hydro pole waving at me. And why? It's hand-drawn. The linesman could have been doing anything, installing a transformer, insulators, wires. But no, he took the time to wave at me. So I guess it was my grandfather who posed for that drawing. And when I think of old stuff like this, it just always brings a smile. Scott, that's really, really neat. Uh, Thank you for sharing. But Loren, Andrea Pimlot takes the cake today. Quite the story from Andrea And thank you, everyone, who also sent photos. I know Scott did. Andrea did. Andrea says, I have this 1937 $1 bill, which unfortunately is in rough shape. The coat check ticket pinned to it is significant. As you can see, just left to the king, the picture of the king, it was signed by Louis Armstrong. He played at the Rancho Don Carlos in Winnipeg. My mom was given this dollar as payment for a babysitting job when she was younger. The best part is... Later, my grandfather borrowed money from my mom's room without realizing what he had taken and spent it at the pub. My nana made him go back and get that <laughs> dollar for her. <laughs> Lucky it was still there. Lucky. So, Andrea, congratulations. You win the tickets for the Gimli International Film Festival. And before we go to sports here, just some uh, breaking news from Hollywood. is Oscar winner Alan Arkin has died at age 89. The popular character actor was nominated three times for Academy Awards, finally won in 2007 as the foul-mouthed grandfather in the surprise hit Little Miss 
sunshine. So Alan Arkin, one of the true greats, 80, dead at the age of 89. Every so often you meet someone who is just so singularly unique, you can't help but instantly be drawn to them. And our next guest is one of those people, one of the most honest and colorful people we've ever met. She's about to embark on a pretty cool and remarkable adventure. Miss Christine is her name. Her Winnipeg restaurant is Miss Christine's Kitchen. She is from Kingston, Jamaica. Came here almost four decades ago, but is still deeply tied to her Jamaican roots. And Loren, we first met her a few years ago. Actually, we, we were doing one of our shows live right outside this building. And I'm trying to remember if she came on to talk about her food, about her adventures and the show that... She- I, I don't remember. I just remember the, first, food. the food, first of all. No, I, uh, but part of the reason why, so the jerk chicken was amazing. But part of the reason why food is good is like it's the same way when you go to someone's house or your mom or your grandma cooks for you. It's it's so cliche, but it's the soul, right? Yep. And you feel that person's like effort in it. And then when you meet her and you see the engage, she's so engaging. It's like, if I hadn't met her, would the food taste as good? Probably, but there's something extra special about the combination. She's a really cool person. Yeah, so before we tell you about what she's up to this summer, first let's reintroduce you to Miss Christine, who only got into the restaurant business a few years ago. So here's how that happened. Well, it all started back in uh, 2018, actually. Uh, we had a foreclosure letter uh, that um, or we were going to lose our home. I was struggling with mental, um, mental disability. My husband wasn't um, working at the time. And the bank was graceful enough to give us, I think it was like six months we didn't pay any mortgage. Actually, we pay some of it, but not all of it. And it accumulates so much that they send us a letter and says, well, you know, you're going to have to either sell the house or pay up the money that you owe us. So I turned to my husband and I says, uh, I'm going to start cooking some food and sell from the house. And he's like, yeah, you know, but uh, this is not Jamaica. It's not like that. And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm just going to try sell about 10 plates of food. If it sells, then I'm going to keep going because we need to pay the mortgage because we can't afford to lose a house. So I start cooking food from the house. And within a year, I ended up with 120 customers coming to my door, getting food all the time. So my husband went and spoke with his mom and his mom borrowed him the money to pay the mortgage off so that we didn't lose our home. And then we end up paying her back through selling food. Wow. Yes. And how long has the, the restaurant been open now? Uh, I opened up in um, the end of June, beginning of July in 2019, because some uh, someone called the health department and says that I'm selling food illegally from my house. And because it's, it's not legal to sell food from your house, but I didn't want to lose my house. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. So I rather sell food than go and rob somebody. <laughs> but it's just being honest, right? So uh, they call me and they says, "Listen, you can't sell food from your home. You need to find a place. Go get your help, um, your food handler's permit." I didn't even know nothing about food handlers or nothing. So I went and got a food handler's permit, and then they says I still was cooking from the house. And then they called me again. They said, "This is your last and final warning." If you cook from your house, and I said to the lady, but I thought you said to get my food handlers. She says, yes, that's the first step, but you need to go find a commercial kitchen to go and cook food out of because you can't cook from your home. I'm like, okay. So one of my customers happened to work at Teaser's, and he says, Miss um, Christine, you know, there's a restaurant next door. It's beside a strip club. Do you mind going? And I'm like, I don't care if it's in a donkey's ass. Pardon my French, but... <laughs> 
didn't care. I says, I need to go. The health department is going to slap me with a ticket if I don't find a place. And I went there. It turned out that I know the woman. Uh, she used to be a stripper herself years ago. And that was it. If that's not just the definition of pulling yourself up from your bootstraps or with your bootstraps or whatever and cooking out of your home to save your home. The restaurant that she has, by the way, it's mostly takeout, but there is some dining space there. She's put up murals on the outside. And even when I drive past it in the morning, you know, at 4 a.m., it just pops. Like, it tells the life story coming up from the streets of Jamaica. And she figures her customer base has grown about 500%. They usually open um, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday and Sundays. And the two days that I'm not open, they'll go somewhere else and get food. And then when I'm open, they'll come in and they look like a puppy dog. They'll have their head down. I'm like, what the hell is wrong with you? They're like, Miss Christine, I cheated on you. I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, well, you weren't open. And I went to this other restaurant and it was no good. I'm like, well, that's not my problem. (laughs) You should have waited. my problem. I don't know why you're telling me that. (laughs) But no, it's good. The customers are good and they're still loving up the food. The reviews are amazing. Mm -hmm. Like, it's amazing how Winnipeg has taken to me and I love it. I love it because I know I I have a passion for cooking. I enjoy feeding my customers and I'm constantly calling them. Even after five years, I still call them and say, how was the food? How was the food? They're like, you know, Miss Christie, I said, I don't care. How was it? I can't imagine actually owning a restaurant. If you ever have people over, even if you cook something small, you want to get that feedback, right? So to have people come get takeout and then not see their faces and react. So that's kind of neat. And uh, Miss Christine, she was also on a TV show on the Food Network. It was called The Wall of Chefs. She didn't win the 10 grand, spoiler alert, but she had a blast. They flew me out to Toronto and put me up in a really nice fancy hotel and then slave me for about 10 hours shooting that one hour episode. <laughs> That's what they did. They slaved all of us. So what you saw on the show for the 45 minutes, that took about 10 hours of shooting. Yeah. Running back and forth like a bungee. Yeah, it was, but it was good. Almost tripped over those big old, they have these like uh, speed bumps all over the studio. But it's all those wires that are connected to the cameras. Yeah. So you're running and you forget and you're bumping over things and yeah but it was a good experience i made it to the second round and then they said um you got to go now you gotta go why did they send you away well because see i'm new to this i'm jamaican from the streets right so i've never heard of um herb whip cheese before and i've never heard of miso paste and i've heard of celery so they give you the chef surprise box so they open up the box and I'm smiling because I saw celery and I'm like, oh, yeah, good celery. And then I'm looking, I'm like, me surprised. So I'm standing there trying to figure out, OK, what the hell is this? And then Chef Suster Lee says, this celery is extremely bitter. And I'm like, what? I thought there was only one celery. I didn't know there was a bitter celery, but that celery had a punch to it. So he says, OK, make us something. Remember, I'm from the streets. I don't got no culinary skills. The two other people beside me, they've been cooking for years. This, the guy that won, I'm, I'm friends with him to this day. He was squidding. I didn't even know what a squidding was. I thought squidding was something from the sea. But squidding is when you take an ink with a dough and you turn it into a dark color, like an ink, you know, like this oh, okay. squid. Yes, yeah, so they call it squidding. And he's doing all these fancy stuff. And there I am chopping up my thing. And I'm like, okay, what am I going to do here? 
So I dump some curry in it. I dump a little bit of sugar. I dump some carrot. And I dump some coconut milk and a, and a whole bunch of stuff. And the soup was delicious. Chef Susha Lee and Susan Barr, they love the soup. All of them love it, except I didn't put any protein in it. Because I didn't know that I could put a piece of meat in it. Okay. Because it's my first time. So and that what that's what sent me home. They told me the soup was delicious, but... You were missing. They said, "You didn't you see the lobster over there, the crab? The, I was like, I didn't know. I thought I just only had to use what's in the box. Also, by the way, our own company, Chorus Entertainment, approached her once. They, they wanted to shoot something at a restaurant for a show. Uh, it didn't end up happening, but they do have her place on their radar for future projects uh, because it's a unique little space. So if you're like me and already trying to source out the menu and figure out how to get this food in your belly ASAP, the reason why Miss Christine reached out to us is that she wanted to share some exciting news on some things she's doing this summer, some big things. So she'll be at Folk Fest and Fringe Festival, which she's been trying to get involved with since 2019. And by her count, she thinks it's been about 20 years since they've had Jamaican food vendor at Folk Festival. January of this year, my phone rang. Thank God for caller ID. <laughs> I looked on the phone and it says Winnipeg Folk Fest and I pretend that I didn't know it was them. So when they, as soon as the phone rang, it says Winnipeg Folk Fest and my heart just sunk to the ground. And then I pretend I didn't know it was like, hello, Miss Christie's Kitchen. <laughs> She's like, oh, this is uh, Katie from uh, the Folk Fest. Um, I just want to tell you that congratulations. Um, you're welcome to be a part of today, this year's festival. I was like, what? But I already knew because they wouldn't call me because for four years I'm looking on the phone to see it says Folk Fest. So that was nice. I'm finally in because another um, person quit after eight years. And that's how come they found room for me to get in. Oh, that's great. Well, yes. congratulations on getting thank a spot. Thank you. Yes, and, thank you. And then the Fringe Festival uh, as well. It's uh, How many years has it been or, or are I, you the first? I'm the first Jamaican food vendor to be at the Fringe, I think, in 36 years or 39 years, however long the Fringe is going on. Because I make sure I call and I ask. I said, have you guys had any Jamaican food vendor here before? And everybody's like, no, we can't recall ever having a Jamaican food vendor. So this is really nice for me that I'm the very first one, unless they can prove otherwise. But um, so far, I've told by them that there hasn't been any other Jamaican vendors. And the thing is, I'm doing all the prepping on my own because I'm prepping for the Folk Fest and I'm doing 4,000 pieces of jerk chicken and 600 pounds of pork. So far, I've done uh, 2,000 pieces of jerk chicken, so I'm halfway there, and the festival is next week, Thursday. So in the meantime, while she's doing these festivals, the restaurant will be shut down, and it's going to remain shut down until the end of August, because right after Fringe, she'll be at the Burt Block Party, and at the end of August, the Black History Month Block Party, and she's just really pumped about all of it. But she did have one final thought to sneak in. And also, if anybody's interested out there to sponsor me for this fo- um, the Folk Fest, I'm still looking for a sponsor. Miss Christine of Miss Christine's Kitchen. What a great story. Uh, she was just started selling food at her home so they wouldn't lose their home. And now she's got a successful restaurant and she's going to be hitting the festival circuit. And, and in our backyard, like starting next week for Fringe Festival. I'm excited to hear that. Would it be down and around here? When is the when I think is it the starts fr- next, or maybe it's two weeks from now. Maybe Folk Fest is next, starts next week. And I think Fringe is July, oh, maybe July 13th. I shouldn't have yelled that out. Either way, I'll be back from holidays. <laughs> 
and be able to get my jerk chicken. <laughs> yeah, that was the first thing I was thinking. Fringe Festival, July 19th to the 30th. There you go. So hopefully we can go find her and get some jerk chicken for lunch. So, Miss Christine, thanks for reaching out to us. We love you.